of Hebrews 5. I'm going to read the first three verses, and we'll read the the rest as we go along. We've got three things we want to look at this morning. Starting in, uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands, and it should be marked already. Hebrews 5, starting with verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And real quick, let's stop right there. I know sin isn't mentioned much in America anymore, but still in the Bible. You notice it's right in this verse. Our nation doesn't need better political leadership, although that would be great. It needs atonement for sin. Okay? So just understand that God always looks at a way bigger picture than we do. Way bigger picture. God's who loved the world. He's not even looking at Congress per se, He's looking at the whole of humanity. But every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because because of this, uh, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. Lord, I pray your spirit upon me. I pray that you would speak through me, but in spite of me, and remove me, as it were, again from the equation that that each and every person would hear from you. I would hear from you. That, Lord, it's just you teaching us from your word. Lord, we pray that you would change us. Make us more like you. Lord, we need that atonement, but Lord, we want to grow in your grace. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do the work as our high priest that only you can do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we wrapped up chapter 4, looking at Jesus as our compassionate and available priest. Go back to uh, chapter 4 for just a second. And remember the last few verses, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Verse 15 of chapter 4 but was in all point tempted as we were yet without sin. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was sinless. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy. And so we looked last week that Jesus has come to give us his mercy, to give us his grace, to intercede for us. Aren't you glad you have an intermediary when you pray? That God doesn't see your sinful self and mine. He sees Christ between. He's the mediator between God and man. He is the one that's interceding on our behalf. Even as I was praying, I know Jesus is interceding. Lord, i got a flawed guy on the stage there, but I got him covered. But also for you. He's doing the same for you. And we continue today in chapter 5 with the writer now outlining the background. You know, a lot of times God gives background on things that we wouldn't even ask for. Like a lot of people say, I don't really, Lord, I don't know if I need to understand all this priesthood stuff. God says, yeah, you do. Well, how do we know? Because he wrote it. And it's good for me. I I find it really, really comforting that everything God puts in the Bible, I now realize I need to understand it whether I thought I did or not. Isn't that good to know? As parents, you come to the point where you say to your kids, no, you need to understand this. I don't think I do. You say, no, you will need to understand. This is important to you. And I don't even understand all the ways that some of these things are important 
but I just accept by faith that they are. How about you? If God says this is a, a big enough deal that I'm going to put it in the Word, I want you to understand the background of the priesthood, then we're going to try and understand. And we're not, we're not going to understand every single thing about God, because we'd be God, right? He's, uh, but we're going to understand what he's written. So we're looking at this background that the writer of Hebrews has given us about the Jewish priesthood and Jesus' role and his uniqueness as being the priest that the law and the sacrifices and the priesthood, they all pointed towards a coming priest. Do we understand what I mean by that? Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards the fulfillment. There's a priest coming. There's a priest coming. They did not quite understand it, but Jesus would be what they would not understand. Amen? And that's what we're looking at here this morning. If you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at this morning, uh, what I've titled the purposes. There are purposes for all this, some of which we won't understand until we get to heaven. And we go, oh, how did I miss that? And it goes, hey, I've got all eternity to teach you some things you didn't quite get, right? So I believe we're going to learn a lot in heaven, too. You guys agree with me? It's not, not just here, but we're going to continue to learn. But there's these purposes that we want to look at, and some of them are uh, outlined here for us, and we'll do our best to understand them. Now, the whole concept of the priesthood, the sacrifices, if, you, if you've read the, uh, the, uh, the Tanakh, well, really the Pentateuch, which is the first five, five books of the Bible, you've seen the sacrifices and the altars and the blood, and the incense, and the robes that the priests wore. And you see all this stuff, and you say, why? Well, I don't understand why all of this is in there. Um, all of these things, the temple, well, the tabernacle before the temple, the elements of it all came from God. They were given to who? Moses. Twice he went up the mountain, 40, 40 days and 40 nights, didn't eat, didn't drink. The Spirit sustained him. God gave him the law, but he not only just gave him the Ten Commandments, all the elements that said, all right, come down. And he even had measurements. You're going to build it this long. You're going to build it this many inches. And everyone's like, how did you know all this? You ever wonder how Moses remembered all this stuff too? Yeah, uh, yeah right. Whoever said God, you're right. You know, no one, I can't even remember someone's name sometimes. He comes down. Uh, and he didn't, he didn't write all this down. He's like, he's telling someone, write this down, write this down, write this down. And this is the dimensions of the mercy seat. And this is the Ark of the Covenant. And this is that. Amazing, right? So all of that was given to him. And all these elements were given to Moses. Moses didn't create it. And then he said, Aaron's going to be the first priest. Aaron didn't come up with a priesthood. He didn't say, you know what we should have? We should have a priesthood. Moses didn't come up with this. Aaron didn't come up with this. Think about it. Before all this, Moses was what? He was a fugitive in the land of Midian. He had his new life. He was actually pretty happy there. He, when God came and God said, Moses was like, oh, Lord, I'm pretty good here. He had his life. He had everything. He was a fugitive. He, he had found relief, living there for 40 years, removed from Egypt, and God seeks him out. Aaron, he was, at that same time, he was a slave in Egypt. He wasn't putting together any nation or priesthood or temple sacrifices. God comes to him. But through these men, God would establish the priesthood. Through Moses and Aaron, he would establish the priesthood. Moses was the one who was given the instructions and then he presented them as the foundational elements. Moses said, this is what I got from God. I'm now presenting it to all the people. And so what he received, he simply gave. He didn't come up with it. You couldn't have come up with the things that Moses was telling the people. And you, you, you could never even think of these things. So he gives these foundational requirements. And one of those was that God said Aaron would serve as the first high priest. 
Aaron, his brother, would be the first high priest. Now, Moses was, was younger than Aaron. Typically, it worked the other way around, that the older brother would have the more senior position and the younger brother underneath, but not in that case. Moses was younger, and he had the same as Joseph, by the way. Joseph was younger than his brothers, and he had the more senior role. Sometimes David was younger. He took a more senior role, so we kind of see this sometimes where God will do that. Um, but anyway... Aaron was given the role as the first priest of Israel. But what was the purpose? Look back at verse 1. Every high priest is taken from among men. It's going to be a man. In, in this case, I mean, it's saying from, taken from mankind, from the flesh of men, um, as appointed for men. So what was the purpose? We see that the priest is just a man like any other man. Taken from among men to what? to minister to the Lord, pertaining to the things of God. Middle of verse 1, pertaining to the things of God. The priesthood, a person is called by God to minister the things of God to the Lord. And he goes on to say, with gifts and sacrifices. Now, the gifts you can think of as worship. When you give an offering, when you worship and praise, when you fellowship and love on people, that's worship. You're, you're giving gifts of worship back to the Lord. The priest is called to teach the people to give their gifts. You know, when you get spiritual gifts, what are you supposed to do with them? Hoard them? No. Worship with them. How do you worship? You worship God by serving him and serving others. So if you have spiritual gifts, say, Lord, you give me this gift of faith, then you should use it to build people up in the faith. So the priesthood was established to lead people to give their gifts back to the Lord. That was the whole purpose of it. Or not, not the entire, but a great portion of it. Then you have the sacrifices of sins. God is saying from the very beginning of the priesthood in the temple that sins have to be covered. They have to be atoned for. Somebody has to pay for sins. And that's why Jesus came, right? Someone had to cover sin. Sin is going to have to be paid for. Jail time is going to have to be served, right? Fines are going to have to be paid. Someone's going to have to pay. And so... God says, I'm going to set up a substitutionary pattern where these blood sacrifices cover the sins, but they're not going to cover for eternity. They can only cover for points in time. Does that make sense? So they have a limitation. They have a, um, you know, you, you buy a, a gallon of milk. It has an expiration date, if you will, right? It, it's good during that time, but it's not going to last forever. And so even this, it was important but it has kind of an expiration date. That's just my own way of kind of thinking about it. You know, don't take that theology to the bank or anything. But just that's one of those ways I can just kind of reason through. All right, I, I, God gave us something that was important, but yet it wasn't going to satisfy the long-term needs. That makes sense? Yeah. But we already see how important it is. And so the sins had to be covered. Um, and so what God is doing in verse 1 is he's expressing the practice and the position of the priesthood. The practice and the position of the priesthood. This is the position of the priesthood. Aaron, you will be leading people for worship and making sure the sins are covered. Primary. Now, as a pastor, I have the same, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but in the New Testament, Paul writes on this, pastors, we take our cues from what was already given to the priesthood. I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor, a shepherd, but a lot of the elements are still built into the role. And Paul talks about this when he writes to the Corinthians, for example. So these things still remain. We still have to lead people into the worship of God, and we still have to express that sin has to be covered. That's why we take the Lord's Supper once a month, right? We remember that sin has to be atoned for. We're not 
getting Jesus back on the cross or anything, but we're remembering, Lord, help us to stay humble. And when we say humble, we stay worshiping. All these things we work together. Uh, verses 2 and 3 really lay out the purpose. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant. This is he being just a, a man like the rest of us here. Um, compassion on those who are ignorant uh, and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Uh, it couldn't be a powerful angel. It had to be another person. Aaron couldn't be replaced by Michael the archangel. It had to be a person. Uh, it has to be a flawed person, which all people are, like you and me. The priesthood had to be flawed individuals just like us. Uh, it says that he would be required to offer the sacrifices. Um, compassion on those who are ignorant. Isn't that a wonderful characteristic to have? God not mincing words here, right? Uh, all those who are ignorant. Um, well, what, to, what it means to be ignorant in this context, uh, it just means one who is going astray. All we, like have sheep, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray, the scriptures say. So we're all ignorant because we've all gone astray. So this is everybody. Him, he himself was subject to weaknesses. Had to be a person that could relate. You know, in the book of Job, uh, at the last chapter, God calls upon Job to tell his friends who were being judged by God to sacrifice animals. And Job was kind of given the priesthood role to do the sacrifices. Chapter before, I believe, Job says he's vile. Job says, I am vile. Next chapter, Job is actually, God says, you do the sacrifice on their behalf so they can be forgiven. So we see that this picture continues to surface in the scriptures. The Greek meaning of um, ignorant, to expand it out, is to not know, to not understand, to err. Again, to go off the track, to not know or not understand. A lot of people are ignorant that they're lost. They don't know they're lost, right? That's, it's just not even, I'm not aware. It's to say that people are forgetful and sinful even when they're not trying to be. You ever sinned when you weren't trying to sin? You didn't say, today I'm going to send some good ones today. <laughs> no. A lot of times we sin when we're not trying to sin. It's that ignorance that's still in us. It's that sin nature that's still in us. Yeah, I got an amen on that. Yeah, the, Greek, uh, <laughs> the Greek meaning of going astray is to wander, to roam, to go off the way. That's the Greek meaning of, of going astray, just to wander around. And then there's a hymn that we sing, prone to wander is in the hymn. And so we have that nature in us. And God says, you're going to need a tabernacle or temple smack dab in the middle of the 12 tribes so you constantly are reminded of your wandering hearts. And we need that. That's why he said, at least one day a week, the body has to come together, right? At least one day a week, got to come together, and we're, we're in this together. We all are wanderers in that respect. It's to say that people being forgetful and prone to sin will drift and wander, just like our minds drift and wander. Your mind probably drifted already this morning. You're probably, a few minutes ago, you put a grocery list together, and you came back to, you came back to where we're at. Thank you. But a priest taken from among men suffers from these same stumbles, these same inconsistency. I, I suffer from the same inconsistencies that you do. Aaron did. Moses did. I'm not comparing myself. I'm just saying that if you take the highest of men in the Scripture, they all had the same kind of fleshly battles that we all do. 
See, they all needed the atonement. They all needed, and this is what the Lord is saying. So you're going to have to take a man that's just like all the other men, which is all of you, and he's going to be used in this capacity. This is the purpose. How many of you are still frustrated by your own forgetfulness? Your own sins? Your own failures? Things you say, I'm not doing that ever again. Tuesday. <laughs> that is already off the list, <laughs> or back on the list, I should say. Uh, me too. Uh, by the way, weakness, when you see the word weakness here, what it means in the Greek, um, and I, said, I say the Greek because it was originally, originally written in Greek, uh, it means infirmity or frailty or lack of strength. You ever have a lack of strength? That's why Isaiah 40 is written, those who wait upon the Lord, he'll renew their strength. God says, you don't have any strength. You, you thought because you were young at one time, that meant you had strength. No, that meant you were just young. Didn't mean you had strength. So God says, I'm going I'm to need to give you this. You have weaknesses. The priesthood had weaknesses. Anyone that's human and honest with themselves can see how weak and imperfect they are. Anyone can see that. And so the purpose of the high priest, in light of these verses, are communicating from God to himself and to the people who are like flesh that we must give our gifts to God and we must have atonement from God. We must give our gifts to God and have atonement from God. This is the purpose of the priesthood. The priesthood is just like basically like a sign. It's like this little Caesars guy out there spinning the sign saying, you know, hot pizza, $5 now. And in a sense, you're just reminding people. That's what the priesthood is, reminding people uh, this is what we need. We need to continue to worship and come to the Lord and have this atonement. So there was, there was a constancy. You know how the, in, the, uh, in the priesthood, Given in the temple, there was the annual feast, right? They never stopped. Every year, Passover comes again, and, and Day of Atonement comes again, and the Feast of Booths come again, and every day, or every week, Sabbath keeps coming, just keeps coming, keeps why? Because we need that continual reminder. Now we have even something greater. We have the Holy Spirit in us, right? Which continually reminds us, hey, remember, you, you're going to stay kind today. You're going to... You're going to focus on me today. You're going to stop and pray, all of these things. But we must confess our sins and have them covered. And, and we've done both here this morning. As we see from verse 3, because of this, it says, uh, prior to Christ, on behalf of the people, this was done, these sacrifices. Before Christ, they were the temple sacrifices. They were the killing of these animals, and their blood drained, and they were sacrificed, and it was incense up to the Lord. All of that was happening until Jesus, and of course then in 70, in 70 AD, the temple's completely destroyed and all the sacrifices have been stopped ever since then. But prior to Christ, these temple sacrifices were always pointing to the new covenant. And Jesus said it. He said, the new covenant in my what? Blood. In my blood, he said. Because the blood of the animals was going to be replaced. And we'll get into this further as we go farther in the book of Hebrews. But let's look at verses 4 through 6 as we consider now what I've titled the Patterns. We have these spiritual patterns that God has provided through the priesthood. If you're taking notes, look with me at verse uh, 4 through 6, starting verse 4. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, there's Aaron's name. Again, Aaron was the first priest, Moses' brother. Verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, now you have the Father talking to the Son, he is capitalized, him is capitalized, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In other words, today I have brought you into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. Today I have brought you into 
the world that you, ver- that you created. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you've never read the Old Testament, you're like, who is Melchizedek? We'll get into that more in the coming weeks, but we're going to talk a little bit about it today. Um, so we'll stop right there, verses 4 through 6, taking a look at that, what I title patterns. There's the priesthood of Israel given through the ministry of Moses, and the initial installment of the priesthood, again, was Aaron, and all the priests then descend from Aaron. Aaron was the patriarch of the priest. All the priests descend from Aaron. They all have a bloodline lineage back to him. But pattern number one is found in verse four, and no man takes this honor to himself. Pattern number one, God chooses his priest. No man takes this honor to himself. Pattern number one, only God chooses his priest. You can't say, I've decided I'm going to be a priest. Not a good decision. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament tried this, and it didn't end up well for them. Uh, You cannot decide. God, it's not a vocation. It's a calling. God chooses whom he chooses. Now, that, that same divine calling was true for prophets. God would raise up prophets. Sometimes they didn't even want to be called. We're, we're in the book of Jonah. He didn't want to be called a prophet. I've met pastors today that don't want to, you know, they want to run from the calling. I understand. I get it. The, the heat is hot. The bullseye's big. All of that stuff. But prophets had to be called. How about the writers of Scripture? Could anyone say, I'm going to write Scripture today? No. You would be called to write Scripture. Not anybody could write Scripture. If you start writing Scripture, it's false. Me too. God has to... God breathed the scripture, so that had to be called as well. How about the apostles? Could anyone say, I want to be an apostle? No, they didn't even seek it. Jesus came and, you know, Nathaniel, you're under a tree, and I saw you under the tree. He had like, how did you know that? Jesus picked each and every apostle. They're all chosen. This remains true today. Um, the pastoral role, you have to have God call you to it, not, hey, I think I just want to do this. It looks like I see uh, some of the guys on TV making a lot of money. That looks like a great calling, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, No, it doesn't work that way. Um, But the priestly calling and the worship and the proclaiming of God's word and reminding people to be cleansed and pure, that part of the priestly calling is still in place for the pastoral calling today. All those things are still important. I have to do them. I will give an account someday in heaven. Did God say, here was your list. It wasn't a long list. Did you follow it? Or did you decide to make up your own list? And that's one of the sad things today. We see a lot of pastors, they're making up their own list. It's it's not good. The priesthood couldn't change. God says, I called you, this what you. Oh, well, uh, we decided we want to sacrifice rabbits instead of lambs. I know that sounds goofy, but there's no goofier than the things that are happening in the pulpit today. Is it? We say, I think I'd rather read this instead of the scriptures. I'd rather present this. Or people, you know, I don't want to mention sin because that might really bother them. Well, God's mentioning sin here, isn't he? If Jesus hung naked and died for sin, we better mention it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not run from it. That's exactly what people need. So if the priesthood decide, hey, we're going to give up all this blood sacrifice stuff because it's really, really messy. Well, yeah, sin is messy. That was the whole picture. But under the law of God, the priestly calling had a very clear specification. You knew who could be a priest out of the gate from one thing. Evidence number two of your calling was the tribe you were born in. The tribe you were born in. Now, we don't have tribes today. We kind of do. Calvary Chapel is a tribe. Baptist Church is a tribe. You know, kind of like that. But that's more of a vibe tribe, if you will, not (laughs) not so much like a 
ethnic tribe or anything like that. But, but they had tribes, and the 12 tribes, if you were born in the tribe of Levi, this was evidence number two that you could be. God had to call you, but he didn't call anyone for a priest. You had to be in the tribe of Levi. The pattern for all the priests in Israel was that they had to come from the tribe of Levi. If you were from another tribe, you could, and many did serve God in many other ways, but they could not serve God as a priest. Does that make sense? You could serve God in lots of different ways. Some of the prophets were great men of God, but they were not Levites. So therefore, they could not serve in the priesthood. Remember when we were in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was tempted by his enemies to go into the temple and act like a priest. And he said, I can't. Even though he was given fiery messages, he was basically God's anointed rod at that time. He said, I cannot assume the role of a priest, didn't he? No, he left that to the priesthood. So you understood that if you were to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. The pattern of their service was set forth in law. It was unchangeable. It still is unchangeable. Even when, when we have the millennium reign of Christ, when the priesthood is brought back, it'll be from the tribe of Levi again. It'll all, that's just the way God has set it up. But God, because he's God, he can make anyone he wants to be a priest. Now, he can say... I'm going to make this person a priest if he wants to because he's God for his purposes. No man can do that. No man has the authority to do that. Israel could never alter his commands and the law and choose a priest outside of Levi. They did not have it in their authority. Say, so, hey, we found a guy from the tribe of Dan, and he is awesome. Let's make him the high priest. They couldn't do that. Or, you know, one from Manassas or one from, you know, uh, the tribe of Judah. Couldn't do it. God could and did um, take priests sometimes and change their calling. An example of this is, did you know John the Baptist was from the tribe of Levi? John the Baptist, right? So you got John the Baptist. Um, he was a forerunner to Jesus, uh, but Jesus was of the tribe of what? Judah. And so John was born into Levi to serve in the temple duties, but he never served in the temple. You know where he got to serve? in the desert, eating locusts and honey. And instead of wearing those white linen garments, he wore animal hair. You know, so he's got all of that going on. God gave him a different call, and he was of the priestly tribe, but God actually put him in the prophet category. Matter of fact, Jesus said he had the spirit of Elijah. Um, so even though he had the Aaronic lineage, he was uh, set up by the Lord to be that forerunner to Jesus. So the structure of the priesthood, again, it comes from God, but like everything else, it's under God. It comes from God, but it's still under God. So God can do what God wants to do. And, and hiding in plain sight within the scriptures was a priesthood. See if you catch this. Hiding in plain sight was a priesthood that supersedes the priesthood of Israel, and yet it's intimately connected to the priesthood of Israel. It supersedes it, but it's connected to the priesthood of Aaron and Israel. You see, the priests of Jesus' day, they would have rejected Jesus as a priest on the account of the fact that he was not a Levite, right? He was from the tribe of Judah. So if, Judah, if Jesus comes to the priest and says, God has anointed me to be the high priest of Israel, they would have laughed at him. Well, they more than laughed, they would have wanted, they hated him. They ended up crucifying him anyway. So for him to say he was a priest, they would have said, no way, you are of the tribe of Judah. You can't be the high priest. 
But the scriptures are, are highlighting for us that there's something going on that God had already established. Uh, the priesthood, the mandate was that he would be a Levite, but Christ, he both came to what? Fulfill the law, but he also is the law. And, he, and, and the pattern and the precedent of his calling as high priest was already laid before Moses was ever born. It was already laid out before Moses was ever born. Uh, look at verse 5. So also Christ uh, did not glorify himself to become high priest. Again, Jesus didn't choose this. The Father had in his plan. Uh, Jesus would not, was not usurping the Levitical priesthood. No, the Father had chosen him to be the final and eternal high priest. And it was of, uh, the priesthood was symbolic, even though it was functional, it was also symbolic of a greater priest to come being Christ. And the writer takes us back, uh, this passage, uh, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Why I say it was hiding in plain sight is the psalmist had already wrote that there's an order of Melchizedek that's eternal. And this went over many of the rabbis' heads. They never even kind of, pay, you know, some paid attention to it, but what it all meant, they didn't quite, you're the order of, not the order of Aaron. Do you notice it's not saying the order of Aaron. It's saying the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek predates Aaron. Aaron came at a later date. Melchizedek and Abraham were peers. They were peers. Moses is 400 years later. So you understand this, right? Aaron and Moses are 400 years later. So God's saying long before Moses, long before Aaron, I have a guy named Melchizedek who is a peer of Abraham, and that order is eternal, but yet notice it's connected because it's not just anybody. It's Abraham connected here, right? So follow me on this. So he's saying that this has already been established. Abraham didn't even have a son at the time. And he presented his offering. It tells us in the book of Genesis, I don't have time to turn there, but Abraham went and presented his gift. He actually gave a tithe, actually. To who? Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. It's found in Genesis 14, 18. If I had more time, but we have... We're going to pray over the team soon, so I, I, otherwise I'd turn there. But we'll get into more of Melchizedek in future chapters. But in chapter 14, verse 18, he takes the offering, he brings it to Melchizedek in Salem. Does anyone know where Salem is today? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem. So we have Melchizedek, but you know his title, he was the king of Salem, but he also is called in Genesis the priest of God. Hmm. Priest? King, Jerusalem, Abraham submits underneath this man, and God had now some people, and there's different schools of thought on this, uh, some scholars even think this might have been Jesus himself as a Christophany, if you don't know that term, it's a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus where he appears sometimes, it does appear that Jesus appears a few times in the Old Testament prior to ever coming with the virgin birth and walking around and putting on the flesh of men. Was Melchizedek Jesus himself? It's possible. Uh, there's just as much proof that it wasn't Jesus. But again, I'm not here to debate that. There's people that think it was. There's people that think it wasn't. We know this. For sure, he was a holy man set apart by God to establish an order that pointed to Jesus because Jesus was not going to come from the tribe of Levi. And yet none of this weakens the Levitical priesthood. 
It doesn't weaken it in any way. They're tied together. As Hebrews will later tell us that even Levi pays his tithes so as it were through the loins of Abraham all the way to Melchizedek. So God has this amazing way of tying it all together. It's like you ever seen two vines that wrap around each other? That's kind of what you're looking at. They're the same tree, if you will, but they're two different vines going up. And so it was foreshadowing this eternal priest because he says, you are a priest, verse 6, forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The other priest would die and another priest would have to take their place, but not this order. This order has an eternal order. And so Jesus, like Melchizedek, would be king of the Jews. He will someday rule in Jerusalem. He is the high priest of God. Abraham will bow to Jesus, just like Abraham bowed to Melchizedek. So we see this picture, whether it's a Christophany or whether it is a man that God raised up to set the order, it was already there. So the rabbis would have no, they would have to take issue with their own scripture if they said, hey, Jesus can't be the high priest. And then, then David would say, what about Melchizedek? Well, you got a point there, right? That's what, that's what the psalmist would say. Finishing this up, we've got to move on. Is our final critical need here. He goes on to say, verses 7 through 10, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries, this is all talking about Jesus, and tears to him, Jesus praying to the Father, who was able to save him, the Father, from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Through, uh, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. By the way, some of your suffering, you're going to learn obedience. This isn't just for Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to walk in my footsteps. You're going to take up your own cross. Some of your suffering in this room, you're going to learn obedience. Well, I'd like to learn it some other way. Oh, is there a correspondence course? Or, you know, no, 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 no. no. But... Trust me, I prayed that. And it doesn't work. Um, and having been perfected, he became the author of, here it is, salvation. See, no other priest could do this. No other priest could offer you salvation to all who obey him. This isn't just an anybody thing. You've got to come and say, Lord, I surrender. You know that song we sing, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. To those who obey him, called by God, verse 10, as high priest, again, a quarter according to the order of Melchizedek. God is tying together that this priest is forever. This priest brings salvation. This priest suffered. A lot of differences in Jesus and all the other priests. Would you call him unique? Well, of course, that would be a massive understatement. Jesus, taking notes this last part, um, I was just showing you real quick on the pattern here. You can see God had out, there was a priesthood already set aside. Then he later comes Israel as a nation through Abraham. Then comes Levi and Aaron. Aaron, then uh, he's from the tribe of Levi. Levi, one of Jacob's 12 sons. Then you have Aaron, then the priesthood. But that priesthood sitting up top above Israel was already established with Melchizedek. Does that make sense? So that was already there. It was already in the family tree, hiding in plain sight, whether Israel understood it or not. So we look at this last point, perfecting Jesus, begotten of the Father, by the Holy Spirit, is doing what? He's taking on human flesh um, to become a man, to rescue mankind. The perfect sacrifice is becoming the perfect priest. And I want to just close with these seven things. This is, this is all in the text, just if you're taking notes or you just kind of want to see, you can take a picture of this when it all comes up. Uh, these seven things that are right in the text, verses 7 through 10, uh, 
Number one, it says, who in the days is flesh. What does that mean? Uh, first one, he left his throne in heaven to put on human flesh and fulfilled his ministry. He put on human flesh. If Jesus did not come physically, we have no hope, right? He came. It said he put on flesh uh, there in verse 7. Number two, it says he offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries to hear. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He prayed to the Father with great anguish. We saw this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prior to suffering and rejection, he said, Father, if there's any way to have this cup pass from me. For you and me in life, um, we have to approach everything in our life through prayer. That's what Jesus was teaching us there. No matter what you're going through right now, stop and pray. Keep praying. Pray through the anguish. Pray through the suffering. That's what Jesus did, and he taught us that, and we're learning these things from him. Number three, and it goes on to say, um, who was able to say, but yet as a son he learned obedience and suffering, he obeyed and submitted to the Father's will, enduring inconceivable suffering. What does it tell us here? We have to obey and submit to the will of God. We have to obey and submit. Jesus did. If Jesus did, we're going to have to obey and submit to the will of God. And he did this throughout his entire 33 minute practicing, applying obedience and submission. Now, Jesus didn't learn obedience like, uh, I need, he didn't learn anything. When it says learn, it means more like applying it. It's one thing to know something. It's totally different to do it, right? Number four, he did all the Father required willingly and without any, we hate this word, complaining. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus cried out to the Father, but there's a difference between crying out and complaining. You can cry out to God. Stop short of murmuring and complaining. And Jesus said, Lord, whatever your will, I'll do it willingly. Willingly. Don't you like it when people in your life love you willingly? Yeah. You want to force them? You love me? <laughs> that really works well, doesn't it? <laughs> just, just think about that. Number five, he proved to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and redemption. It says he became the author of salvation, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the author of salvation, uh, sin and redemption. No other priest could do this. They could offer sacrifice, but they couldn't be the sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He both was, the temple veil's torn, he is the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Um, but there on the cross, he suffered and atoned for sin. Pastor John MacArthur said this, and I think it's really well said. He said, on the cross... Jesus was guilty of nothing, but God treated Jesus as if he had committed personally every sin ever committed by every person, though in fact he committed none of them. That's how he secured our salvation. There's two left. Number six, he secured the way of salvation by completing the Father's will. Jesus said these words, it is what? Finished. Completing the will of of the Father and the plan of God, and that blood gift is now available to all of us. But it says, author salvation to all who obey him. You first have to obey 
the gospel, and then you have to obey the work of the Spirit the rest of your life. It's and not that you're working for your salvation, but I'm saying that you're working it out because you have the evidence of obedience to the true gospel brings a new creation. So those that obey, yes, we will too. Uh, we will fulfill the will of God. And lastly, number seven, he assumed his rightful and unique place. Verse 10, where it says, God as high priest. He also becomes God's king on his throne, just like Melchizedek, both king and priest. He assumed his rightful place as the eternal high priest. And this is when we worship Jesus, we, we say, you are what? Exalted. Exalted. Jesus will, in the age to come, he will show us his priestly garments, and he'll show us his kingly crown. Amen? Like Melchizedek, you will see both. And you'll also see at the same time the nail pierced. You'll see the sacrifice, the priesthood, the servant, and the king all in one exalted position. Won't that be amazing? But when we look at all he's done for us, we've got to close here. When we look at all he's done for us, how do we respond to that? Do we respond, that's good information. Or is it going to be life transformation? Which is it going to be? Let's close in prayer. Father, we bow our heads before you. And Lord, just, we just ask even now, Lord, that you would, once again, we prayed at the beginning, we want to pray it again. Lord, forgive us of just not appreciating all that you've done on our behalf. Lord, not worshiping you in the way that you're worthy of it. Lord, considering it a trivial thing, to neglect you. And Lord, you've, you've called us all to be kings and priests in the sense that you have given us a high responsibility to follow you in the way you've commanded. Lord, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to look to you all this coming week for all of our needs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.